When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit. Binge boys, that show you know. I gotta work on that. Maybe. You might know it. You might know it. You might not. Maybe you... You can't really pull us up. You have to download. I get, you have to, like, seek us out. I, there's nowhere you'd be yeah. going where Binge Boys just popped up. You're like, I'm gonna click on this site unseen. Unless it we was don't an, get accidental, an accidental what? download. Yeah, but we don't get featured. It's not like Apple or Spotify are putting us on the our, our ugly mugs on the homepage. That not yet, Lon. Not yet. Whether you've chosen us or if, if this is the hypothetical accidental download. I think that could be like a detective, like a, a murder mystery. The accidental download. It's like a poker face episode. The accidental yes. download. And I'm like, wait, now, uh, uh, I just, I don't understand why you would have put this on your phone. Uh, it doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would go on your phone. I just thought I would ask. Uh, that is Lon's Natasha Leone by way of Paul Giamatti. By way of Paul Giamatti. It's note perfect, my Natasha Leone. You are the love child of Natasha Leone and Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yeah, I could. I, I, if I was trying for Paul Giamatti, I think I could get closer on Paul Giamatti than Natasha Leone. Uh, let's save that for behind the paywall. Yeah, no, I'm not doing it now. I'll do it at some hypothetical point in the future. I'll give him my Paul Giamatti. Lon, uh, before we uh, jump into stuff, I, I know uh, you watched. Uh, you're saying you watched some Chris Rock last night. Did you? Uh... I only only the first five minutes. I literally he started off. He comes out, and the very first thing he says is, "I'm going to try not to offend anybody, but you never know who's going to get triggered." And I was like, "Well, I'm going to turn this. I, I I'm just so bored." I can't I can't listen to that anymore. And then the next the next sentence was like, you know, I just don't like the selective outrage. Like you're all sending your woke ass tweets. And that was it. When I heard the phrase woke ass tweets, I was like, I can't I can't listen to one more old comedian complain about if I if you're a comedian and I can tell that you're on Twitter a lot from your act, you fucked up. It's a bad act. You should rewrite your act. I should <laughs> never, I should never be able to tell. I'm going to, he doesn't listen, so I feel safe doing this because he's a good guy. I don't want to, I don't want to gang up on anybody. Yeah. But I one time went to go see Doug Benson do stand up. Like I paid money to go to a theater to oh, see okay. Doug Benson do comedy specifically because I like Doug Benson. Yeah. Comedy's Doug Benson. I'm not here to beat up on Doug Benson. I like Doug Benson. Doug Benson of the Marijuana Logs. Doug Benson of the Screen Junkies of, Plus of, show. Of Doug Loves Movies fame. Yeah. Uh, and so about halfway through the set, he actually takes out his phone and he starts talking about, I tweeted a thing and then a bunch of people tweeted funny things back and he started reading 
the tweets from stage. He's on stage on his phone and he's reading his tweets people sent him. And I was like, this is Doug. No, this is bad. Like this, I, I shouldn't. It's I, like, that's the, the ultimate don't do it. But I should just never, you don't want Twitter discourse to be like invading your work. We talked about Velma on, on Honest Trailers last week and that okay. was the same problem. It's like, I shouldn't be able to tell that you're on Twitter a lot from your screenwriting. And if I can, it's too much like tweets and you should rethink it because people don't talk like tweets. Sure, but I do feel like there is a place to invoke Twitter discourse. Like, if you want to, if you're going to do a chunk in your stand-up bit about Elon Musk, bring up Twitter. Uh, I I think comedy that is inspired by real-world experiences and observations is like 99.9999% of the time better than comedy about shit you were reading online and an online debate you want to jump into. And I I don't mean like, and this isn't even like I agree or disagree. Like, yeah. I didn't even disagree. Chris Rock wasn't really saying anything that offensive. Like, I, he was doing like the woke, oh, everybody's woke. Oh, yeah. Cancel culture is his kryptonite, like, as is with so many other uh, comedians of a certain it age. It wasn't like Chappelle where he was up there saying things that I found personally offensive. It, right. it was just boring. It was just, it's yeah. so boring to talk about that stuff. And that's how I feel about almost every bit I've ever seen a comedian do that's like, you know how on Twitter, like the moment it's that, I just like, I don't know. It's a, a Twitter's for Twitter. Leave Twitter on Twitter. I have enough Twitter on Twitter all day anyway. If I'm watching comedy, I don't want it to just feel like I'm reading tweets again in a different venue. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely see your point. I want, like, the comedian to craft their act and to, you know, if if you're a master tactician like Chris Rock or someone, to, you know, navigate without uh, all these qualifiers and everything, which are tired at this point, I agree with you. But I also think that social media can become part of the discourse here because it is so ubiquitous to our society. Sure, but uh, I uh, I don't know. Like that that material, save that material for social media. When you're on stage, okay. talk about like, why don't they make the whole plane out of the black box? That's what I was Ah, that, that's, that's good. What I, that's uh, what Lon, I, I was also going to ask, uh, before we jump into the news, uh, uh, spoiler alert, but um, did you uh, check out any of the, uh, or the just the winners or anything of the Independent Spirit Awards? Uh, I, I did not watch the show, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I saw, I saw a lot of the, the winning, the winning folks go by, you know, I, I, I see the tweets go by and, uh, everything everywhere seems at this point functionally a lock. I feel like by the time people are listening to this, uh, the Oscars will either be happening or coming up. That's a week. We're recording this on a Sunday. So a week from today, uh, but if you do hear the this most glamorous the, night in Tinseltown. Yeah, but if you do hear this before the Oscars, know that I'm I'm saying with confidence that I think everything everywhere is probably going to take Best Picture. At I this think point. so. Top Gun Maverick would be the only other I feel like major contender. They got the the Producers Guild Award, but right. I don't think I don't think that's really happening, folks. I think it's everything. I'm pulling for Jenny the Donkey and Banshees of Inisherin. Not nominated. I think it's I think it's going to be those. nominated. Uh, the, for best the, picture, the, oh, the donkey's the, not nominated. The, the movie is nominated. The donkey. I would have nominated. nominated the donkey for best cinematography. There was a lot of vomiting in 2022, including Jenny the Donkey. Oh yeah. 
among the year's leading vomiters. Oh, but no one um, vomited as much as Triangle of Sadness. You know, honestly, I feel like Babylon undervalued in terms of the amount of and prominence of the vomit. Like, Babylon's got almost... Oh, I still haven't seen the uh, Damien Chazelle epic. Babylon's got almost as much vomit as really? Triangle of Sadness. There's a okay. lot of vomit, and it's a very, there's a big showcase vomit seat. Mm, okay, now I'm, I'm I'm moderately intrigued. I don't want to oversell it, but uh, definitely another. When I was watching it, I was like, "Wait, are there? There's multiple like big vomit movies this year. That's an interesting Ooh, wrinkle. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should put our puke talk uh, behind the Patreon. Wall. Yeah, the, the year in vomit. Now let's jump into the news with Lon. The news with Lon. I also recently watched Marcel the Shell with Shoes on, uh, also vomits in the movie. There's also some prominent Marcel vomiting. No. When, yeah, they're, 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 I Marcel, saw it. I saw it. I didn't, when Marcel first goes on a yeah. car ride and they put a little newspaper down and oh, Marcel's riding yes. and, and he, he keeps throwing up from the, from the, the speed. You know, I th- I'm of two minds for, of that film. Uh, it was lovely, and it was also a little bit of a snooze. It it lulled me into a little bit of a slumber. It's doing the thing. You know how, at, like, every review of it came out, and it was like, I can't believe a movie about a shell is making me feel emotion. And, like, oh, yeah, like, that's... I, I, I'm not saying it's it's poorly done. It was It was well done, but, like... We'll we'll believe it because that's what that's what movies do. Like that's like, yeah. I in 2023, it's weird to me that we're shocked by the idea that a person could animate something we normally think of as inanimate and make you care about it. Like that's what that's what visual storytelling does. It invests things with inner life. It makes you care. It like how like that's it's just a movie. Of course it is. Of course it yeah, makes you care. It's like welcome to the world, baby girl. Bob Hoskins was uh, rubbing up on Jessica Rabbit animated uh, thirty years ago. But I just mean like every Pixar movie is like, well, I can't believe that you were able to make me care about a robot in the future on a ruined planet. Like, well, of course that's yes. that's how movies work. If you play the right music and you film it in the right way and you give it human qualities and Jenny Slate's voice, then we're going to make you care about it. And if I you just anthropomorphize felt, a thing, uh, then I'll listen to that thing. There's a preciousness sometimes about this stuff. And, and it, it, oh, it felt yeah. like it was even made with that awareness. Like, oh my God, when this gets, when this gets bittersweet and melancholy, people are going to lose their minds about shells being melancholy. And it was the same thing. And I don't want to get into everything everywhere all at once. I liked that movie. I know people love it a lot. I don't want to bash on it. I'm not here to do it. But it's the same thing with the rock sequence in that one. Like, I can't believe that they put a pair of googly eyes on a rock and made me care. And it's like, yes, because they're cinematography and there's an orchestral score and dialogue and like they, they there's a lot of artistry that came together to invest these rocks with meaning and emotion and that's why you care about them it's not a magic trick yeah um between you me and uh these four uh headphone uh ear muffs we uh I, I think that film is slightly overrated everything everywhere all at once uh i feel like uh I, I liked it a lot. I think it's very clever. I, I, like, I like it a the lot. Emo- like it it's the emotional it. stuff didn't work as well for me. It just felt well, like... See, the a- comedy didn't work for me. I just felt like it was a little thin. Like, you get to the end and it was like, yep, they were a dysfunctional family. And then they... Like, I don't really feel like the the psychological understanding of this family or, like, the way that the family dynamic sort of plays out is really any more complicated than, like, 
the Mitchells versus the Machines or like mm-hmm. a, a family comedy. Like the themes are very broad. It's like they don't listen to each other, you know, and like that's really the core conflict. And the way people are talking about it, I expected it to have a little bit more of a complex emotional arc or dynamic. I like the emotional arc against the backdrop of uh, the multiverse. It just multiverse. felt a little straightforward. Uh, a, a, a strict Asian family and this young girl uh, who is, you know, she's uh, lesbian or gay. And I just uh, wanted it to really involve itself with that more. It feels like it's way more into the universe jumping in the comedy. The actual family emotion and drama felt like it got kind of the short shrift at the end. Mm. It was just really like, ah, and then they worked it out. Yeah, know? I wasn't into the whole uh, raccoon ratatouille. I didn't oh, really I thought that find- was funny. I, it was the, the butt plug stuff was a little like, Mm-mm, all right, yeah, butt plugs. Yeah. But there's a lot I like about it. See, it's it. Um, it. it I, I think I love what it is. I love the like everything they went for. But there's a lot that I felt like oh, like I felt like Jamie Lee Curtis, who's like getting. I think she won the Independent Spirit Award last night. Yeah, and yeah. everyone's saying she's going to take the Oscar. Uh, I felt like she was in a different movie. Like it was like she was playing an over the top sketch comedy character. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Let, yeah. Listen, people are gonna hate us for. They're gonna be the mad. Darling. They're gonna be. They're gonna be yes. mad at us for this. Yes. Yeah. Um. You listen. It's fun. I thought it was good. I thought it was very clever, and I enjoyed yes. watching it. It, it. I don't oh, think it's same. a bad movie. I don't think it's a bad. Movie. Listen, I would nominate it. I wouldn't award it. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have even nominated it. No, you know no, what? no way. You, it's, <laughs> it's at lons on Twitter. If you want to. I would not. I'll tell you. You want to hear? You want to hear? You want to hear the ten? The if the if Lon ran the Oscars, what the ten best picture nominees would be? I can read them to you. Sure. Mad God, Decision to Leave, The Fablemans, Women Talking, Resurrection, Nope, Tar, Saloom, that African movie that everybody should watch. It's on Shutter now. Stars at Noon, Jackass Forever. Those are your those are your best picture nominees. All right, uh, not bad, except uh, you're missing Banshees of Inna Sharon. Didn't, didn't care for it that much. Didn't really like it that much. Yeah, we talked about that here. Uh, Lon, and you should shut your mouth. No, I'm kidding. We, we'll, we'll move on. And now, as we said, the news with Lon. Succession. We learned this week that Succession, it's coming back soon, but for yes. the last time. Season oh. four, the next season is going to be the last uh, there's 10 more episodes left total, uh, so we get new episodes return on March 26th, but there's only 10 more total left to go in the entire show. Uh, this season, of course, opening with Waystar Royko on the verge of selling to tech mogul Lucas Matson, that's played by Alexander Skarsgård, uh, in a deal that will cut out most of the Roy offspring and leave Logan Roy uh, alone becoming enriched. Uh, creator Jesse Armstrong announced the end of the show in a New Yorker profile. He explains basically there was always going to be a, a time limit on the show. It's called Succession. It's about this moment in the lives of these characters. Yes. And he was like, I could have theoretically just kept it going on forever, 10 seasons or more, and never, we never really get to true succession. But he didn't want that to happen. He wanted it to have a final point and write a real ending and so he did that this year so that that's it oh i mean it's going to be a real blow to the uh prestige tv landscape when succession uh leaves well yes and no i mean this is probably hbo right now has like more big popular shows than than in any other time in recent memory so uh they've got they got house of the dragon 
They've got Euphoria sure. also going. They got the White Lotus, and then brand new, fresh on the scene, a uh, little show called The Last of Us. Hal. So, uh, if there were ever, true. if there were ever a time when HBO could probably afford to drop one big popular show, now is the time because a lot of those other shows are they're they're new. They've had. They had a they had two big recent successes with House of the Dragon and Last of Us. So I mm-hmm. think the next generation, at least, of HBO shows is now like fairly solidified and they can afford to lose succession. I mean, you can never you never want to lose a huge show that's popular, but I think, you know, in the landscape we're talking about, the the writing on succession is so much sharper and and wittier and um like just a cut above all of those other shows that we're talking yeah. about. It probably is also, it's going to be a blowout, like in terms of viewership. I bet a lot of people this year, now that they know it's ending, are going to go back and get into succession. We, You know, you sort of always see that happen when the yeah. big show has its final season, like Game of Thrones final season blew all the other seasons away in terms of viewership because people caught up. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, like all the word of mouth, all the memes, all the succession. I want to be part of this cultural phenomenon. Right. So, this I think moment. Succession season three had so much hype, and now four is going to arrive with all this hype. So, I bet that the views this year they're going to have a huge season. So that'll mm-hmm. probably make it worth their while as well. And then they they've said there aren't any spinoffs currently in the works. And it's a, a sort of tentatively, we, but you never know. Like, give, a, give them two or three years. We could theoretically spin one of these characters off and do a new oh, show. Oh, yeah, Lanky. Let's get Lanky Cousin Greg his own you show. You could have Cousin Greg could have his own show. I think, you know, yeah, J. Smith Cameron, you could give her her own show. There's a lot of these actors that I think you could Who's follow Jay them. Who's J. Smith Cameron? She plays, I'm blanking on the name of her character. She is, you know, the older executive. Oh, Jerry, yeah. Jerry Kelman. Jerry, Jerry Kelman. Yes, yes. I blanked on her name for a second. Uh, so you can, yeah, like Jerry's going to get another job after Waystar Royco. Uh, what's she up to next? You know, like, and uh, David Roche, he's also in there. The guy with Sledgehammer. Uh, he, I forget his name as well. There's a right. lot of, there's a lot of Frank. There's a lot of those characters in Succession that I could theoretically see. Oh, like, yeah, Sledgehammer, the old show. Uh, yeah, you remember David Roche yep, as yep. Sledgehammer? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that was good stuff back in the day. So anyway, I feel like a lot of those people you could see popping up in another show that's set in the same, like, business world but didn't necessarily need to have, like, one of the Roys in it. Right. Or, you know, let's see. If Jeremy Strong wants to do Kendall's next phase as a show, who's to say no? TBD. I, you know, I, I want, uh, as long as uh, we get Brian Cox doing more of those McDonald's commercials, I'll be happy. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it, yes. Oh, you want to steal? Don't try to steal my French fries. Get your own. Da, 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 da. If you if you are British and you get old enough, uh, you just get a license to be like really mean and and cranky, and everybody just like celebrates it. Like I love that Brian Cox has this license to be really mean. And oh and yeah, if it he was, hates Jeremy Strong. Yeah, and if it was acting. anyone else, people would be like, "This is a horrible thing to say about your coworker." Because it's Brian Cox. We're like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, didn't he come Get out him. with a book where he was shitting on Johnny Everybody. Depp? Yeah, yeah, everybody. Like, he just shits on people, and we're like, ah, you're Brian Cox. It's okay, you know? Yeah. You, you've earned it. You're you're going on 80. You've earned it. He came out, and he was like, oh, this is Jeremy Strong. This is not real acting. Blend. Jeremy Strong is like, he's allowed. He's Brian Cox. He's allowed to say that about me. Oh, I enjoyed reading recently that Brian Cox enjoys uh, smoking that sticky, icky shit long. Yeah, well, you know, don't we all? Sure. 
Uh, let's move on. According to CNBC, Disney now plans to convert ESPN's website and app into a free unified hub for all live sports streaming. So there'll still be ESPN Plus, the paid subscription service, okay. where you'll get where you'll get all of ESPN's coverage of, of all the sports they have. But there will also be the free ESPN app and website, which is just like a, a guide to what's happening that day in the world of sports, but it will link out to rival platforms. So if, okay. you know, they're showing the PGA golf tour on CBS and Paramount Plus, you'll be able to link to that directly from ESPN.com, even though Disney does not own CBS or Paramount Plus. And that includes things like regional sports networks. You know, we're seeing these, these local services like MSG Plus or Bally Sports Plus that just mm-hmm. serves certain markets, you'll be able to link out to those from ESPN. The Big Ten Network. Exactly. So those will all link out from ESPN.com. So they're, they're going to try to be the one-stop place you go where you're like, what sports are happening today? Where What's streaming where? I need to know where to go watch my... Foxy boxing. Field hockey championships, you know. Sure. Oh, clamoring for a little college field hockey. Yeah. What about, oh, what about the lingerie football league? I don't, is that, I don't think that's considered sports. I think that's, 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 that's adult entertainment. That, 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 that's gonna, Listen. that's gonna link from uh, AshleyMadison.com. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What about the your, Spice Your, your, your favorite, your favorite uh, service, Ashley Madison. No, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. <laughs> I'm a faithful husband. <laughs> Uh, home of wife, guys. Uh, Oh, yeah. So Rolling Stone last week came out with an expose about the upcoming HBO series, The Idol. This is, of course, the show. It's Sam Levinson from Euphoria joining forces with R&B superstar The Weeknd, or The Weeknd, as I call Mm -hmm. him. Is it supposed to be he's like, it's The Weeknd, but he's The Weeknd? Because that's what it, it without the e, it kind of looked like that's how you're supposed to say it. But I don't know if that's he's not weakened. Oh, he's the weekend. Wait. Oh, is his name? Is there no e on the? There's no the e. Last? It's W E E K N D. That's how he spells the weekend. Oh shit! I've I was today years old when I learned that shit. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, that that is true. So I did, but I don't know if it's supposed to be a pun. Like he's both party because it's the weekend, but also like oh my heart, I'm weakened by your love. I don't I know mean, if it's meant as a as a play. On, I do know on one thing. He way. feels deeply. He feels deeply. So is he, perhaps. he can't feel his face when he is with you. This is true. Uh, so this is your show. These these two goofballs created it together. And, and Weekend's also going to star as a guy who a club owner in L.A. who also is like a cult leader, spiritual guru, something. He's got a lifestyle organization. He's like a Jared Leto type. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, So the story concerns that he plays that character and that character embarks on this like dangerous, provocative relationship with a up up and coming pop star who's played by Lily Rose Depp, Johnny, Johnny Depp's daughter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now, so... Wait, this, uh, are you describing uh, uh, this uh, this show or you, or yeah. the Nexium documentary? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a show. Okay. Uh, now, originally, Amy Seametz, I believe Seametz is how you say her name. Sure. She, she worked on uh, She Dies Tomorrow, a great indie film. If you haven't seen it, she worked on The Girlfriend Experience, that TV show. So she was originally going to come in and direct every episode of this show. It was going to be... Uh. Levinson and The Weeknd came up with it, created the series, were writing scripts, and then Amy Seametz was going, Seametz, Seametz, I think it's Seametz, was going to direct. 
She left the project several months ago, citing creative differences. Sam yes. Levinson took over. So he's now show running, directing the whole thing. Uh, now, that that's the environment we're in when this Rolling Stone expose came out that is Ooh. saying since its female director exited and the show is now Sam Levinson's baby, it has devolved into, and I'm quoting here, a, quote, rape fantasy and, quote, torture porn. So that's what Rolling Stone is saying. That it's, it's, it's now gross and awful and people on the thing, even people working on it are kind of like unsettled by what they're working on. And uh. a big part of the plot concerns this Lily Rose Depp character not, not only being kind of dominated by the weekend's character, but in an overtly inappropriate way where she's she's begging him to be raped because she thinks that's going to help her career and all sorts of other gross stuff. So that's what was in this Rolling Stone piece. We don't know yet. The show's not out. So right. there's no way to judge for ourselves if this is accurate. Uh, but the weekend responded on Twitter by posting a clip from the show. Uh, and in the clip, Dan, Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek is mm -hmm. like... He in the in the show, I guess he works for Lily Rose Depp. He's like her PR guy, or he's doing publicity right. for her, or something. And so in the clip, he's trying to sell her on Rolling Stone wants to do a feature on you. You should do this this feature in Rolling Stone. And she's there with the weekend, and the weekend is basically talking for her, and he's saying. Rolling Stone doesn't have a following. She's got this huge social media following. Rolling Stone doesn't have any following. Nobody cares about Rolling Stone. Why would she do this Rolling Stone piece? In the clip. Gotcha, yes. And then The weekend's caption was like, oh, we made Rolling Stone mad. And, and so his implication is they wrote this whole expose as like revenge on the show for implying yeah. that they don't have a lot of social media followers. Like, how, you, little, how dare you step on our feet? We're, we're Rolling Stone. It's a little bit of a long way around. Because also, yeah. in the in the show, like they're fictional characters. Like yes. it's not it's not like this is about a real person who's like, I'm not going to do Rolling Stone because I have a bigger following. Like, well, you just wrote that into. Why would Rolling Stone be offended? by a fake story that you wrote where you have more followers than they do and you don't need... The weekend has been in Rolling Stone. It's not like he's saying, I, The weekend don't need to do Rolling Stone. People are easily offended, uh, these entities are, but uh, yeah, it, it, didn't Lily Rose Depp come out as well and say that uh, this is overblown? Well, of course. I mean, the people making the show don't think they're making a torture porn rape fantasy, or I, I, I'm, I'm assuming they don't think that, or they, they right. that was not their goal. And mm -hmm. so, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're feeling like, well, that's not the, the voice of the show that we made, and let people let it come out and let people. I, I have to tell you, from my own personal perspective, yes, if if this article was inappropriate things happened on the set, go for it, like publish away. But if yeah. it's just like, hey, this show that's going to come out is creepy, I kind of feel like let it come out and, and let us see if it's creepy, you know? Like, I, it's weird to do an expose about a fictional program before it comes out because... Yeah, like, if, if you're port... In art, if you are portraying dangerous behaviors... That's fucking part of art. It can be. It can exist. Right. And art. like, and what are we supposed to do about it? Like, what are we going to do with this? It's not a review. It's not like it's saying this is bad. Don't watch it.
Yeah, but if someone's getting assaulted in their fucking trailer off camera, right. well, and that's a whole other story. And, and, and exactly. And, 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 and I think that's that's what I'm trying to say. Like, we're yeah. not saying that. That kind of an expose is obviously its own baby. Uh, th- that's being human with uh, right. Bill it, Murray. Uh, yeah. In terms yeah. of, it's just in terms of like, hey, Which this thing that's going to come out. And I'm not saying Rolling Stone shouldn't have published it. I'm just saying like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to really do with that. Like, it's just, it feels like gossip more than news. Let me just uh, posit this notion that um, any press is good press. So if they're well, yeah. like, oh, this is too extreme, our motherfucker is going to be like, oh, I'm uh, titillated and interested by this notion. Yeah, I doubt HBO Max is like devastated that this happened because, hey, if the first way that people hear about a new show is, it's so awful and controversial that Rolling Stone is disgusted. Like, yeah, a lot of people are going to tune in to be like, oh, I got to see what this is all about. Mm-hmm. Or I got to tune in so I to get something new to fuel my outrage exactly, for me to tweet yeah. about and get Chris Rock all mad. There you go. Don't yeah. be selectively outraged. You have to be outraged by everything or nothing. That's what Chris Rock says. There you go. A stage play based on Stranger Things, titled Stranger Things, The First Shadow, will debut on London's West End later on this year. Uh, The show is based on, so Matt and Ross Duffer, who created Stranger Things, it's based on an original story that those guys came up with. But the show was actually written by Kate Trafri, who, she's a Stranger Things writer, and then she joined forces with a guy named Jack Thorne, who wrote the Harry Potter play. Harry Potter and the cursed child. So the mm-hmm. the Harry Potter play guy also is writing the Stranger Things play. He's just like your go-to. We're turning IP into a Broadway show. Bring in Jack Thorne. If you have a YAIP, he's your scribe. He's going to turn it into a play. So anyway, he's he's right. It's going to be set 25 years before the events of the show Stranger Things. And they're going to feature younger actors playing versions of Chief Hopper, Joyce Maldonado, Bob Newby, and Henry Creel. He's the guy, he, the kid who becomes Vecna. So, oh, gotcha. So is one of those guys that you mentioned Matthew Modine? No. Uh, Chief Hopper, David Harbour, Joyce Maldonado, Winona Ryder, Bob Newby, Sean Astin. That's Sean Astin's oh, character. There you so go. remember, he went to school with Joyce. Uh, oh, so we'll, yes. we'll see him. Him is like a young man who's got a crush on her and she won't mm-hmm. really give him the time of day or whatever. I'm assuming that's what it'll be. Uh, and then Stephen Daldry, who did Billy Elliot, like a real film director, The Hours, he's going to he's going to direct. All right. You know, I'll give it a, I'll give it a chance. Uh, you know, well, you're, you're not in London. You're not going to fly to London and give it a chance, you liar. Oh, give it a chance. I don't believe mate. you. Oh, oh, I bet it's going to be a jolly good time. Have you ever seen a show on the West End, huh? Oh, are you talking about the East End Boys and West End Girls? Well, that is what the Pet Shop Boys are referencing. But West, the West End is like the Broadway yeah, of London's London. Broadway. It's yeah. London's no, Broadway. Uh, no, I've uh, I've never been to a thea- I've never had a theatrical experience there. Yeah, I, I have. I saw Les Mis at the, uh, oh, on the look West at End you. in London. Yeah, right. Oh, what a cosmopolitan <laughs> bon vivant you are. In top hat and tails, uh, opera glasses. Uh, no, I was, uh, but I did. I did go see uh, Les Mis on the West End in uh, London. It was. It was charming. It was wonderful. Oh, that 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 sounds like a grand experience. Uh, part of me is like, do do today's pop culture phenomenons need to invade theater? Can't we just do a little more Arthur Miller? It's uh, honestly like, 
out of out of all the musicals playing on the West End or on Broadway at when at any given time, like one or two of them are like original, written for Broadway shows. The rest is all just like Shrek and School of Rock and Back to yep. the Future is the new one they're doing. Or, oh boy, uh, Matilda. It, it, that's the only way to get people to come pay for the tickets and come see yep. the show. Yeah, it's just like Hollywood. Give them the IPs they know and love. Right. Jeez. I saw School of Rock on Broadway as well with my mom. She wanted to oh. go see that one. I wanted to see Beetlejuice, also an IP show, but uh, we didn't go see that when we did school. Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote the School of Rock uh, songs. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Last thing about theater, and then we can move on. If you go, I, I I don't know if this was just School of Rock or if you go see anything today that was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, but before sure. the show starts, they play a audio greeting from Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, and Ooh. it is it's it's really hello, welcome, thank you for coming to see School of Rock. It's like very formal, and I really enjoy. It. Oh, also, cool. Paul F. Tompkins does his Andrew Lloyd Webber impression, and it really he, he you don't. When you hear the real Andrew Lloyd Webber, you're like, oh, Paul Tuck is doing a very good job. It, it clicks. It clicks. Yeah, it all clicks. Right. Uh, Robert De Niro, formally signed on to star in a limited series for Netflix from Narcos vet Eric Newman. The show is called Zero Day. We don't have a lot of details Ooh. on what it's about. Political conspiracy thriller of some kind. There are rumors that De Niro plays a former U.S. president, but I cannot confirm that at this time. That's just a rumor. Uh, Leslie Linka Glotter, very well-known TV director, Homeland, Mad Men. I think she did Twin Peaks as well. She's going to direct all six episodes. Oh, tremendous. You know what? I'll, I'll, yeah, I, I enjoy Robert De Niro a great deal. All oh, you like that. Robert De Niro. Bold. Yeah, a bold I'll, stance I'll, I'll from Hal Rudnick. Take. I'll make that hot take. A bold stance from Hal Rudnick. Enjoys the work of Bobby D. Color me interested. It's his first ever major TV role. We're seeing that a lot. You know, Harrison Ford now popping up on TV. Bobby D. There's there's very few actors left who really are not uh, also making TV shows. Like like Leonardo DiCaprio, Holden Strong. Yeah, Brad Pitt. Tom Cruise. Yeah, Angelina but like not, not a lot of those folks. They're, most of them have broken down and agreed to do a TV show. Coming to the point. small screen, Lon. Yeah, I mean, Meryl. Meryl's doing TV. She's going to be in all, Only Murders in the Building now. Oh, so, yes, I mean, like, yes. once you've got that, like, uh, you know. Nicholson was like the last of that generation that would, would never do TV. Now, now, now you got to. I'd rather kid. die than to do TV, man. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's not, that's not bad. <laughs> I want to go to a bar where everybody knows my name. I'm going to be on the next season of Survivor. I'm, I'm making an Aquaman movie with my entourage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Greenlit, the action comedy Grand Death Lotto from director Paul Feig. Another name I don't know how to say. Paul Feig? 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 I think it's Feig. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't What's think your you guess? can go wrong there. F-E-I-G. Uh, Feig, I feel like I've heard Feig more. Feig, so I feel like Feig, Feig is right. It's set in a near-future California in which everyone's broke and desperate to win the state's grand lottery. Very near-future. <laughs> yes. set in tomorrow's California. Right. Uh, but the catch here is that if you win the lotto, anyone can murder you before sundown and claim the winning ticket. So oh, it's no. a it's like a it's like a purge thing, yep. like win the lotto, but then you have to survive until the end of the day. Uh, so so Aquafina stars as a, a lucky winner. She wins the lotto, and then she hires a professional jackpot protector played by John Cena to like guard her and make sure nobody steals her ticket. And that's the the bit. And then 
Simu Liu is going to co-star as John Cena's chief rival who's going to come after them and try to kill them and claim the ticket for himself. Oh, cool. Uh, and that one's skipping theaters, going directly to Prime Video. It's entering production like this week. They're going to start filming it right away. That sounds like fun. I mean, I, it does. I, I it's kind of a fun premise. You know, I can't commit to it like I can commit to uh, watching uh, Robert De Niro in his first small screen escapade. But uh, yeah, it sounds like a fun premise, a fun dystopian premise. Did you watch uh, the School for Good and Evil? That one. That was Paul Feig's last one that he did for Netflix. Oh, yeah, with Charlize Theron and Carrie yeah, Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I missed it, I missed it. It was like a YA, you know, Harry Potter, riff, magical school. The kids are all magic and they get divided into fucking houses or whatever. But but it was, uh, and it was fine. It wasn't like remarkably terrible or whatever, but it was it was two and a half hours long, Hal. It was, oh, it was, it was I mean, two and a half hours. And I didn't even realize, I just assumed it would be like an hour 40. And I started watching and it was like 30 minutes in. And it was like, boy, they are, they're really taking their time getting to this school. I wonder, I wonder how long this bad boy is. And then I looked at the, that was when I looked at the actual time and it's like literally like 155 minutes. Like, guys. Oh, that's like a gut punch. That's guys, like a gut punch when fellas. you pause it. Like, because everyone knows that move. It's like, okay, I, you know, I'm not... Uh, you know, I'm not checking the clock here, but I just want to know how much, how long I'll be watching because I'm in it. I'm in it. But and then it's like, oh, my God, directors, come on, pull yourself together. Writers, trim a few pages. I, I don't have a problem with a two and a half hour film, but like uh, clearly no, there's something this wrong one with many no, two and I, a half hour films. Do it. Get it. And land that plane in two hours. It's, it's context specific. And if, if it's like kids going to magical YA school, like get, 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 get to the, cut to the chase, man. Get, get to it. I don't, I don't need all this backstory. Land that plane in two hours. Anyway. Yeah. That one, not great, but I'm, I'm looking forward to Grand Def Lotto. Uh, up next, Priscilla Presley going to voice her own character in the Netflix. Ah, Elvis's child bride. Elvis's child bride. She's going to voice her herself in the Netflix animated comedy series, Agent Elvis. So this is, it's an alternate reality where Elvis, at the peak of his fame, was also serving as an elite, like, international anti-terrorist operative. So we're going to have Matthew McConaughey voicing uh, Elvis. Uh, but Priscilla, his wife Priscilla, in the series is going to be voiced by the real Priscilla Presley. The rest of the cast, Caitlin Olsen, Johnny Knoxville, Niecy Nash, Tom Kenny, and Don Cheadle also going to be voices in this thing. It debuts soon on March 17th. We're going to have Agent Elvis in our lives. Oh, wow. Is So is Tom, is there any truth to the rumor that Tom Kenny is playing SpongeBob SquarePants in this universe? Uh, no, I don't think there is. I don't think that's a real rumor and I don't think there's truth to it. Any truth to the very real rumor I, that I think I heard, I can't cite where, that um, in order to prepare for the role, Matthew McConaughey did make love to Priscilla Presley? I mean, I, I have not heard that rumor, but that sounds right. And that, that's just method. I think that that's just yeah. the thing you do. I think everybody who plays Elvis in a movie makes sweet love to Priscilla just as part of the uh, studying for the role. I'm, I'm assuming Austin Butler did the same. Yeah, one would assume, one would assume. Lon, uh, go ahead and give us your best Elvis impression. Oh, oh thank you very much, Al. Don't mind if I do. Huh. Oh, very nice, very nice. <laughs> thank you, yeah. I can't, I'm no, I'm no Austin Butler, but that's also because I don't want my voice to get stuck like that forever. Oh, yeah, because you run that risk. He, 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 uh, he tempted fate. Yeah, he's still doing it with like, well, well, baby, you know, I grew up in Anaheim, California, but, uh, this is how I talk. Nothing I can do oh, about uh, it now. Uh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm rumored to be, uh, 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 on the uh, short list of actors to be in, uh, Michael Mann's 
heat too, but uh, I gotta get, get rid of this old boy, Sarah. <laughs> I'm just picturing him in in heat too, like, oh, let me tell you, baby, that girl, the girl's got a great ass. Oh, you got your head all the way up. All shook up. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna steal all this music from people of color and uh, make it my oh, own. Oh, well, so woke, Hal. Jeez, had to go woke <laughs> on it. Now, yeah. do you know what you've done? Now, Binge Boys is going to go broke. We're gonna oh, go no. broke because of this. <laughs> How oh, dare no. you? How fucking dare you? Oh, all of our sweet podcast residuals. We all know. If you take one thing away from today's show, folks, it's that Elvis Presley invented rhythm and blues. That's what I want. <laughs> That's, please just bear that in mind, that, that soul music comes from just one man, white as the purely driven snow. Dead on the toilet. He's what? Uh, that's, my, that's my impression of Tom Hanks. In, in a, he's what? Uh, True crime, cable network Reels, R-E-E-L-Z, Reels, signed a deal with Peacock uh, to bring their true crime content to the streaming platform. So it's, this is a very confusing cable network. I had not even heard of them before this story. There I'm was be a Reels channel before that was this something is, else. This is the same channel. So they're oh. called Reels, R-E-E-L-Z. I guess it used to be a movie channel. Mm-hmm. That's hence the, ter- hence the term Reels. Yes. Uh, they used to show films. No more. Uh, basically, cable TV at this point is like, it's it's like, it, 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 it's like a the, an amusement park from Scooby-Doo where it's long abandoned, but for some reason they left the power on and it's like yeah. still operational even though nobody's there anymore. That's what cable TV is like at this point. Like they, all these networks are still up, but there's nobody watching and nobody paying for ads and like three people work at all of them. So they're just yep. like MTV just shows ridiculousness for 22 hours out of a 24 oh, hour yep. day. And like all they're they're all running on fumes. So mm-hmm. that's what Reels was doing. So they abandoned movies as their concept. And now it's it's literally 24-7 copaganda. Like all the shows are I'll, leave, I'll read you a list of the shows Please. on patrol live and on, on patrol is a franchise of. There, it's a, it actually spun off from Live PD, which right. is a ripoff of Cops. So there, these yeah. are all just cops type shows where yeah, they and follow it's a bunch of dudes in a control room, and they're like, "Let's go to let's go to Amarillo, Texas. Right now, yeah. let's go to Chicago. That's exactly. Right, it. Let's go to East Lansing, Michigan, where cops have, are uh, in, in a foot chase. That's on Patrol Live. Is they're just like cutting to cops doing stuff in real time, and then on Patrol first shift. Same kind of concept, except I think it's like rookies. I, w- I would have loved to have seen an episode uh, with that one uh, cop from Kentucky that uh, blew all the dudes in her precinct. <laughs> you know that story? <laughs> I, I, I do know the story yeah. you're referring to, yes. Uh, so anyway, there, there's, a few, there's a few shows in that On Patrol franchise that's going to be theirs, plus a show called Jail, plus Cops, the one that started it all, plus a show called so great, Autopsy, colon, The Last Hours. Like, what? What, what, oh, what, what is happening in your life when you're watching a show just about autopsies? Mama's got to watch her autopsies. Autopsies is like, look, look at the shit we found in these dead bodies. Like, like what's, what's, what's wrong? It's like that one scene in every SVU where it's like, uh, you know, the, the victim had a number of uh, vaginal contusions. It's like, if you really love the scene where Stabler describes vaginal contusions, but wish that was like an hour... 
uh, autopsy the last hours. That's you know, for you. with the with the popularity of true crime, I wouldn't put it past uh, people on with the popularity of serial killer content. Oh, it's not putting it past people. It's real. These are all real shows. So anyway, it's not that hard to uh, you know extrapolate out. That. So anyway, if you can't get enough of uh, cops opening people up to see all the goo inside. <laughs> uh, all coming to Peacock, all all that all that quality. You know, so it's it's the same deal as like uh, Bravo or whatever. The shows will air on Reels, and then the next day, all that hot, fresh Reels content will pop up on Peacock. Oh so there you boy! Go. You know what? Uh, there's uh, such a thing as too much. I don't know. I don't know if I need uh, all, all that. Uh... It is interesting. Like this is a big part of Peacock's strategy is making these kinds of deals with cable network. I mean, obviously they've got the ones that are NBC Universal, but they've also, you know, they're integrating like Telemundo, Hallmark. WWE. Was, Hallmark was the recent one where now all those Hallmark movies go to Peacock after they play on cable. So like around Christmas time, if you're a big, you know, you got to see every Hallmark holiday, whatever. Mm-hmm. They, they they always do one one for Jews. They throw us the the token Jewish one every year. Did you oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was all about some like some rich female executive spends a, a, a long weekend in the country. Right. Ninety nine percent of them are like her boss wants her to buy out the ranch, but then she goes and falls in love with the hunky ranch owner, and they have to make a tough decision. You know. And they learn the meaning of Christmas. Right. It's it's ninety nine percent of them are that, but then yes. like they they did they did la one last year. I swear this is true. You're gonna think I'm making it up because it sounds so ridiculous. Yes. It's called Hanukkah on Rye. What? It's a you've got mail shop around the corner riff. But deli owners, so they're two, they're a male and a female Jewish, rival Jewish deli owners. They strike up an online friendship without realizing they're falling for the owner of their rival deli. Oy vey, these Meshuggah kids are in love. Ha Hanukkah shenanigans ensue. Uh, I, I honestly feel like that's like, it's like one half step from, from anti-Semitism. Like, like <laughs> why does the Jewish romantic comedy, it really has to be about deli owners? Like, like of all the stereotypical things, they got to own, really, really deli owners? Why not just make them bankers? Why not just go all the way? <laughs> Do they own rival banks? It's the, the, the Rothstein, the, you know, the Rothschild versus, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't uh, name another yeah. Jewish banker family, but. Uh, not since. Gold, the Goldman versus the Sachs. <laughs> Oh, what was the name? Uh, what, what's the name of the moneylender from? Uh, oh, uh, Shylock. Here they Shylock, Shylock Merchant yeah. of Venice. Yes. Moshe Shylock has a problem. But Akiva yeah. Goldman. Yeah, yeah. it's just, just like, ugh, deli, really? How many Jews own deli? Like, uh, how many? I mean, uh, uh, probably as a, a percentage number. of the whole. I, I mean, if you're talking about the percentage of delis, how many are owned by Jews? I'm sure a lot. But I mean, of the percentage of Jews in America, how many are deli owners? Like, such a small, infinitesimally oh, small yeah, subset. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, something more relatable, maybe. I don't know. Jeez. Go in there for your first thing. You know, they're, they're trying to communicate with middle America here. I, long, I can't so. even. Here's the thing. That's so stereotypical. I can't even give you another example without myself being racist. Like if I was like, that would be like having two black people who own. But I'm not going to fill in what kind of store they would own. That's sure. That, sure. There's no way to do it without being racist. That's the same thing as Jewish deli owners. Oh, here, I'll give it to you. <laughs> oh, OK. That's like having two gay guys each owning rival paintball ranges because you know the no, gays love paintball. Okay, thank you for doing a safe one that's not going to get us in trouble.
Because yeah. that's what I mean. Like, there's no way. There's no way. What are you? What are you gonna? No, what are you gonna yeah, give them? Like, um, don't don't do it. We'll get canceled. Let's move off this. Let's move yeah. off this. <laughs> All right. Last story. Last time. Uh, BB Newerth. She played Frasier Crane's ex-wife Lilith on both Cheers and Frasier. She's going to reprise her role again for the Paramount Plus Frasier. I guess a sequel show, spinoff show, whatever. So in yeah. this new one, uh, Frasier moves back to Boston, his old stomping grounds, uh, and he's going to reunite with his son, Freddie, who's now an adult. So it's it's sort of a riff on Frasier. Like, you know, Frasier had his dad, John Mahoney, move in with him. Now Frasier's the dad moving in or, or getting reacquainted with his estranged son. But right. the only other character that, from Cheers or Frasier that's going to be in it that we've confirmed so far is now B.B. Newerth as Lilith. So no... Wait, so no David Hyde Pierce? No, David Hyde Pierce, Perry Gilpin, and Jane Leaves have all said no. They're not coming back. I think wow. Jane I think Jane Leaves and David Hyde Pierce said they, like, specifically they weren't offered enough money and didn't want to come back. Gotcha. And David Hyde Pierce is also on Julia, that Julia Child show. Oh, yeah, he's very good on that. Yeah, he right, so he husband. it might have been a scheduling thing with him, too, that he didn't want to do two shows at the same time. So he's going back to Boston. Well, that's right, so get... he's not going to... So presumably, Niles and Daphne will stay in Seattle, so that's why they're not going to be on it. You, you could just yeah, explain that Ted they're... Danson and uh, Woody Harrelson. Exactly. My, my, my guess is that because it's set in Boston, they just haven't announced it yet, but they're definitely... They got to be reaching out to... John Ratzenberger, Rhea Perlman, Woody Harrelson, Ted Danson, so sure, many of those went, cast members. Yes. Right. All those guys are still in the mix. Like we we sadly we sadly lost Kirstie Alley. True. Uh so she can't come back, but coach long dead. But otherwise, yeah. most of the Cheers cast is still with us and could totally come back. So Oh man. That's my guess is that is that now that he's back in Boston, there'll be easy opportunities to bring back Sam Malone for an episode or two or whatever. But they haven't okay. announced that yet. All we know so far is Kelsey Grammer's back, B.B. Newerth is back, and then all new cast members. Okay, there you go. And this is going to be on Peacock? Paramount, Paramount+. Plus. Paramount, Paramount. So uh, that's coming next year, probably to Paramount Plus. I mean, I think they're Hello, they're going to Boston. I am listening. I don't know. We don't know. No, yeah, we no don't announcements know he's yet. Be a radio. The na yeah. the nature of his return to Boston is still up in the air. So maybe he's back on the radio. Maybe he's seeing patients again. Maybe he's unemployed. Who knows? Are we going to be getting tossed salad and scrambled eggs? I don't. They haven't announced it yet. But I think if they don't have Kelsey Grammer singing the theme song, a huge it's a huge missed opportunity. Oh, it's one of the great theme songs, one of the great weird theme songs in history. Just the memeness of Kelsey Grammer singing a new weird song, I think, mm -hmm. is a thing. And, mm -hmm. like, Kelsey Grammer loving to sing is, is at this point, like, a cultural, it's an ongoing cultural motif. Even Sideshow Bob loves to sing. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's it. That's the news, Hal. That's all, that's all for the news. That was the news with Lon. Uh, coming up, we got a couple of Netflix programs, an Amazon program. I mean, we're going to talk about them, let you know what we thought. Stick around. <laughs> and it's coming up right after this. Lon, you and I watched three programs this week. Let's, we uh, let's kick this off. Uh, first off, from Amazon Prime Video comes the Christoph Waltz starring The Consultant. Christoph Waltz is the titular consultant. There is a horrific death that occurs a few minutes into the show. The owner of a video game company is brutally murdered, uh, shot by a child in his office, and the game is afoot, Lon. <laughs> uh, I, I, I thought 
thought this was I thought this was fun. I watched the whole thing. I'm I'm done. I've seen it all. How many episodes is it? I only eight. watched two. It's eight. I only watched it's two. eight half hour episodes. I'll tell you the best thing about this. It's it's created by a guy named Tony Bozgalop, Bozgalop, something like that. Uh, he's a British writer. He also created that Apple TV Plus show, The Servant, along with uh, or just Servant, along with M Night Shyamalan. Yes. And the best thing, the, the the shows share a little bit of DNA. They're both these kind of like very weird, surreal kind of thrillers where uh, a lot of the plot is driven by a character just acting in a way that seems to not make sense. That. Like, the other characters are constantly trying to, like, reframe their understanding of the motives of this one character who seems to be acting in increasingly bizarre and absurd and inexplicable ways. And so both shows have that in common. The best thing about both of them is that there are 30-minute episodes. And I love the idea of doing a thriller with 30-minute episodes. I feel like it gives him so much more freedom. We're so used to the, like, 42, 45-minute thriller show. Yes, yes. That seemed to be a template that is unbroken. If it's a comedy, it's shorter. If it's a drama or thriller. Right. Comedy's right. Comedies can be half hour. But right, if you're a suspenseful thing, you got to be a full hour. And I think that a lot of the time that forces episodes to add B-stories, filler, whatever— there's really like the nugget of a 25-minute episode idea in there that they got to pad out to get to a 42-minute standalone episode. And he doesn't have to do that. These episodes can be very tight and they can just have one really kind of core idea that they get to it. And it's, I think it's very effective. And I really liked watching eight episodes of this all in like quickly in quick succession and getting through it quickly. Like I think this is the right length and format for the show and I really dug it on that level. Having said that, it's kind of one note. Once you sort of get what the note is, I feel like, unlike Servant, which I think they they continually find ways to, like, reinvent the premise every few weeks or every season in a way that's interesting, this just felt, it felt a little repetitive to me. Yeah, so I I think you make a good point in as much as they're they're able to... uh, stick they don't have to bury the lead they don't have to beat around the bush like you you get the uh the 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 action of like the main thrust of the show within that half hour uh time constraint but otherwise yeah i wasn't a huge fan of this show i i I, i've only watched two episodes i'm not super compelled to go in and watch more i feel like i got it like there's Christoph Waltz is this evil guy who comes into and you you like I extrapolated out like I feel like, oh, he's probably, you know, otherworldly or powerful or, you know, I don't want to give it away by accidentally stumbling into it, even though I haven't watched enough to get the big any big reveal yet. But he's an inexplicably weird, evil guy that comes to this video game company and like that's. It. I, I feel like there's no tension because you kind of get it. Like, oh, he's super evil and he's probably going to do something awful. And it, yes, just like just like Servant, which is a similar premise. It's this this couple hires this nanny to come in, and there's just something. She seems well intentioned, but there's just something off, and then she's but got this, these sort of odd powers. Yeah, right and, here, and, you you like you get it right out of the gate. Like Christoph Waltz is. You know, I'll just say it. He's probably the fucking devil. He's probably the devil. Please allow me to introduce myself. Like, that's, you know, that's it. Like, I didn't, and I didn't even watch it. But if you watch it and don't come away with that after one episode, and then it's like, okay, 
I get it. I'm several steps ahead. You know, maybe I'm way off, Lon. Tell me if I am. Uh, Lon's not even saying anything. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even, uh, listen, it was so simplistic. Also, the, I, the show looks unimpressive. The show. I, I, before we get into that, I do want to yeah. address the 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 devil in the room thing. So, you're you're not you're not totally off on where things are going, but that's not like a big final twist. It's not like the okay. whole show is leading into a revelation that Christoph Waltz is the devil, and that's the big twist ending, and we just blew it. It's right. really what is the like? It, it it is more complicated than just he's evil. It is what is the nature of of his goal, what is he trying to do, and how is he going about it? And there are reveals and there are interesting things. I I I, I don't want to give people the idea that it is totally rote and simplistic because I think within the idea of Christoph Waltz is a demonic force, I think there's yes. a lot of layers to that. And I think that even if you play on the idea of, well, but he's he's the consultant. And so if you think about the devil how, when we think about the devil, there's there's multiple versions of how the devil does evil in the world. Is he the devil just making evil, or is he consulting with people and bringing out evil from them? Sure. And I think that the show is it's about that in a more is he thoughtful these way. People like a harp from hell. Well, right. Like the idea of well, how would the devil actually go about making evil in this world? Is he just magic and he points his finger and it's like earthquake, kill a bunch of people, or is he creating the scenario? He's 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 tempting, tempting. us. He's, he's a right. Exactly. And so I think the show is playing around with that. Even like if you Al get Chino in the Devil's Advocate, right? Even if you get pretty quickly that he's a sinister force who's there in a demonic sort of way, I think the show the show does have, have more things to add to that. Yeah, I, I, the, like two episodes in, I, I found it to be utter, like uh, like utterly, overly simplistic. But I do want to get back to the other point you were making about- Yeah, I don't think it, it looks unimpressive. It looks inexpensive, like uh, the way the show is shot. And yes. like they've got one decent location, which is this video game company, but it starts to feel claustrophobic after a while. And uh, yeah, yeah I, 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 just, I agree with this a lot. It, they 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 clearly spent a bunch of money set decorating this arts district DTLA. And in fairness yes. to them, they clearly shot the show in L.A. It's very yeah. L.A. There's lots of very recognizable locations. A couple, uh, but. But it's so claustrophobic; they don't get out of the. They yeah, don't get that, out of there that much. And I'm not saying long. Ninety nine percent of the action is set in a few rooms in this yes, one office, and, and it is a and, little claustrophobic. And it looks like it's shot on like you know a lesser video quality. I'm not saying everyone needs to behave as our last remaining auteurs do and shoot on film or something, but it just doesn't look great. The season one finale was shot by Karen Kazama and I think it looks pretty good. I, but I do okay. I do think it's a it is a claustrophobic kind of show because it is so set around this one this one location and, and not even just this one big location, but a few small rooms within this one location. It's a it's a, it's 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 talky. Yeah. Uh so there you have it. It's uh it's set in the video game industry. Christoph Waltz, you know, there's some good moments. He's he's fun to watch. But overall, yeah, I watched two episodes and I'm like, I get it. I don't need to continue. Lon, uh, it's one of his top shows of the year. Well, it's a, the year is young. I know. Just kidding. Uh, that is The Consultant, available on Amazon Prime Video. We also watched 
a film new to Netflix, The Strays. Now, I was absolutely in the first half hour. So uh, the, the Strays is a racial drama slash horror uh, reimagining of how. It, 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 it's like we're getting a lot of like, I would say, post Get Out horror films. Yes. I, I would put this in the post Get Out horror film. Not necessarily that they're all about race, but just that it's trying to take a like a social commentary political topic uh, and then revisit the discussion through the horror genre. Like, yeah, and I, I you know, th- I feel like this this film it's a, a almost sl- a little too heavy handed with oh, yeah. the way oh it, it's very heavy handed. Yeah, it goes the way it goes about it. Like, you know, the, they're watching TV and this Hansel and Gretel cartoon comes on, and the bro- like, what are the brother and sister walking into here? And just the way the characters are introduced, it takes itself extremely seriously. Everyone, there's no one to root for. Everyone's toxic, except maybe the chill, the uh, the younger children in this film. Uh, but the, but the thing that is slightly redeeming about it, and you know, take it from uh, the uh, couple of middle aged white guys, but the, there's a real conversation to be had about the racial dynamics uh, in pe- of people of color. Oh, and, interesting. I, we have we've kind of we've kind of mirror flip takes on this one. I I think. When this, when it's trying to do the political stuff, and it's trying to be about this woman and and her journey, uh, and you know how she sort of changed herself in order to code switch and fit into this new community, I uh-huh. didn't really, I didn't really find that material very effective, just because it felt, it felt a little generic. It felt like, it felt very heavy handed, very obvious in one way, and then it felt like we've seen it, we've seen this kind of, this kind of stuff in a lot of other recent films. When this movie gets more specific and it becomes about these characters and their world and this this particular story, I actually thought it, it, it got pretty interesting. And by the third act, I, I was sold. I really enjoyed the third act. Like, it takes a long time to get over having a discoursey discussion. It takes like an hour to like, here are big themes with a capital T that we're going to introduce. And we're going to discuss everything from, you know, race. It, it's a it's a British movie. So race mm-hmm. in the UK and the difference in you know, urban versus suburban communities and how these communities, and, you know, like there's also a lot of class stuff going on and, you know, like how posh people are simultaneously very like inviting, but very judgmental. And there's all all this kind of stuff. And it takes a long time. And, and I was not very interested in it. But then eventually... You get down to just this character and it becomes more of a psychological thriller about what's really happening in her life. Mm-hmm. And I thought that stuff was actually pretty, pretty darn effective. No, I thought, no, I thought there was, uh, I thought there were definitely some uh, strong notes in that part of the story. And I'm not saying everything. And I really like the final beat too, that it ends on a very powerful note. Absolutely. I don't want to give that away. I'm not going to spoil that, but it's kind of a delicious character moment. Um, where the, the, the aftermath that we're left with when the final bell rings in this movie, it's like, oh shit. Yeah. That was kind of my takeaway was it takes a long time to get there, but if you can, if you can stick it out, I do think the ending kind of redeems a lot of what's come before. It, It does. And, um, back to, uh, some of 
the political, uh, socio-political and racial discourse in the film. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying it does broach very real issues, similar to um, the film uh, Passing uh, and talking about uh, uh, people of color and light skin versus dark skin and how society accepts or doesn't accept um, people of color, certain, uh, societies. This was like, it's really weird. It's like racist to like the nth degree or politely racist, but it's so, uh, just pervasive and insidious. Like this one, this one young girl in the film who is, uh, a very light skinned person of color. She shows up with cornrows in her hair and like the family friend is like, Ooh, that's very ethnic. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, like it makes you, there's some awful people. There's so much toxicity. I feel like this story, if you had someone to root for that much more, because like in Get Out, you know, I mean, Get Out is one of the great, uh, you know, it's an Academy Award nominated film. It's an Oscar winning screenplay film. Uh, So it's done with such a deft hand. This, it's, yeah, the, the tone is uneven, but by the end, as Lon and I were just saying, there is something worthwhile, and there is some there are some strong character and story notes to it. All right, there you go. The Strays, Netflix, there if you want it. Finally, uh, we watched a reality series out of Korea, South Korea, Physical One Hundred. Did you on, finish Physical One Hundred? Not yet, but I think oh, I will my. because I, I've watched like five, six episodes of it. It's it's a, it's pretty addicting. It's compelling. Yeah. It's very compelling. Uh, they do that thing I don't like, where they they every competition ends in the next episode. So it's it's very much the American Idol, like, and we'll show you who won next time on physics. So you gotta you gotta keep watching. You gotta like, keep. You watching. get seacrested like a motherfucker. In yeah, this, uh, I know people who are listening are gonna be like, well, they got to talk about all the controversy. So we 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 should address. I don't know if you've oh, read yeah, up on it. No, there, I'm not there are two. Familiar. There are two controversies happening right now with Physical 100. Please. The first one is the Korea Times reported. We don't know which contestants, but several of the hundred contestants have some sort of allegations against domestic violence, abuse, violence towards women, allegations wow. against them. Not during the making of the show, just right. from their lives in the time before the show. We don't know which ones yet. Gotcha. Second controversy, uh, the I won't give away who won, so don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. The second place finisher claims that the final game that we see between the runner-up and the ultimate winner was rigged. Uh, the second place finisher is saying that they actually shot the final game three times. The person who is depicted winning only won one of those three, and they've edited it craftily in a way to make it look like they clearly won when actually the the runner-up believes that the final game was manipulated. So the final game, I will spoil what the final game is. It's the two of them, and they've got a very heavy rope that's attached, a huge long rope that's attached to the end of this very, very heavy spool. And they've got to just continually pull, and whoever pulls their entire rope off the spool first wins. But it takes a really long time. I mean, it's incredibly heavy. Uh, so the, the second place finisher is claiming that they actually won the first time, but there was sound and audio and visual camera issues. They had to mm-hmm. reshoot it. And then when they reshot it, 
the opponent won, and they're making it look like the opponent just won outright, and they're the winner. So some things to bear in mind if you were a fan of Physical 100, there's more to it than what we Mm. see on screen. Having said both of those things. Yes. I got really sucked into it. I thought it was really very well done and, and very compelling. Like, they came up with very good competitions for them that were really exciting to watch and they picked they cast good people who were exciting to follow and they just yes. like executed it really well I thought and the show it's dubbed I mean they're obviously they're speaking Korean well, you can Everyone you can, you can watch there's dub there's a dubbed and a subtitle version I watched the subtitle or I'm sorry it's subtitled and yeah I, there's I both. you can watch it either way Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I watch a subtitled version, but you almost don't even need dialogue because the way the, uh, like all of the competitions, they are just visually exhilarating. They're so exciting. And as Lon was saying, that these competitions are great. The one-on-one battles, the team battles, so fun to watch. It's basically just the premise is they got a hundred people from mostly Koreans, but some foreign people living in Korea. Yes. And there are all kinds of different people who are all gym rats. Like, everybody's incredibly physically fit. They're all incredibly well-built. They're all very healthy. Yeah, from powerlifters to gymnasts to wrestlers to army special forces. Right. Every variation of being, like, cut and really in shape is represented from, from bodybuilders to just, like, rappers who work out a lot to swimmers to cyclists to wrestlers to— Yeah, yeah to, social to, media— Fitness influencers. Right, to yeah. UDT, which I looked up uh, and is the Korean version of being a Navy SEAL. There's a bunch of those guys that are like, oh, this guy's a UDT. That's yeah. like, the it's it's like being an Army Ranger or a Navy SEAL of Korea. Right. Like the elite special forces badass. So it's like kind of answering the ultimate question, like who would ultimately win between all these different disciplines and all these different ways of being strong and fit? Like, What's the ultimate physique? And and in sort of, they've devised all these challenges for all these people to go up against each other, uh, you know, single elimination. So they go from 100 to 50 to 25, uh-huh. eventually down to 20, and then five. And then out of those five, there's one, there's one ultimate. Yes, winner. no spoilers. But uh, yeah, and also, you know, this, this comment is, is colored a little bit by uh, the... Uh, the the news stories that you had mentioned that there are some people who are uh, accused of domestic violence. And so I'm sure there's some shit. Shitty- it could be, we don't know who they are. It could be like two of the people from the very beginning who get cut in the first round and like we yeah. barely even get to know them. Or it could be the winners. Like we don't know which ones yet. That being said, the energy in the rooms, the way they watch each other and root for each other. Yeah. And um, like, like culturally, it's like kind of, beautiful to see like like because i can't imagine like if it was a bunch of like american influencers and like like fitness people them being so like pulling together in this way i don't, I don't think know, it would be our culturally yeah it's always a question of how much how produced it is like because i feel yeah. like like i don't feel like our natural american way like like, if you look at, I, I watched the subtitle version too. And a lot of the time you'll see they're yelling out things like, you're awesome, he's so cool. And obviously they're saying Korean slang and that's like yeah. the closest translation. But it, it's really hard to imagine an American reality show where people are watching their competitors and being like, you're awesome, you're so cool. But if they if the producers told 
told you, like, you could yeah. produce that show. If you came out, because oh, sure. I, I feel like they're going to do an American version of this. And if the producers come out and say, hey, when the other people are competing, don't be negative. Encourage them. Be super positive. Cheer your competitors on. I think people would listen to them. Yeah, that can that can absolutely be produced. It can be manipulated. It could be manipulated so much so that they could decide the winner at the end of the whole thing, like you were saying. Right, but I mean, you could even tell me, like, we won't put you on camera if you're being really negative. So, like, cheer people on, and that people would cheer each other. But there, yeah, but there was a just a such a beautiful level of respect between competitors. Um, yeah. So much so where it's like, uh, like it makes you feel good watching it almost. And, and also the, 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 the dignity that like they go about their like winning and like just the sportsmanship and the respect they have for the elder statesman. There's this one guy who's like one of the most decorated MMA fighters in Korea. Oh, who, sexy Yama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, who's, who's in it. And just the, um, the reverence he's treated with, uh, off the field of play is, is really cool to see. Chu Sung Hoon. Chu Sung Hoon is his real name. He's like a, yeah, very, very famous in Korea MMA fighter, but they call him sexy Yama. That's his, that's his Korean nickname. Yeah. Um, and as Lon was saying, it's it's totally, it's an addictive watch, super compelling, and they get you at the end with, tune in next time to see who won. You know, so they, if you're watching a very close competition, they time it so that it cuts off and you have to watch the, the beginning of the next week to the next episode to see who won. Yeah. So so they, they get you, they trick you, but it's worth it. I was glad I watched and stuck around for the whole thing. It's, yeah, it's, I'm, it's I'm a gonna lot finish, of fun. I'm going to finish it. I enjoyed the heck out of it. And, uh, and it's got a little bit of a Squid Game vibe to it, partially because it's coming out of Korea and also all of these weird stunts. Yeah, at the beginning, a bunch of competitors say, like, oh, man, it's like being on Squid Game. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah, tell they I mean, shot it after Squid Game because a bunch of people in it are referencing Squid Game. Yeah, it, it, it definitely has some low-key Squid Game vibes to it. Uh, Physical 100, it's a fun watch. Jump in, give it a shot. What else do you have to do? <laughs> yeah, you're a loser. Just watch it. Come on. <laughs> Well, I wasn't saying that. No, I am. I'm, 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 I'm calling our audience losers, to clarify. Uh, Physical 100, available on Netflix. And Lon, those are the programs that we watched. That's it. Uh, hoot Hoot, Owl Nation, uh, where my hooligans at. Starburns Audio, thank you for having us. Uh, Travis Reeves, thank you for producing us. Jason K, thank you for our opening music. Lon, please go ahead and tell people anything you care to. Uh, just go find me on Twitter. I guess Twitter still exists. L-O-N-S, that's the place to do it. And uh, that's that's fine. That's that's good. Very nice. And uh, I am at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, also, if you're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. Uh, until next time, friends, thank you for listening. Bye-bye now. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys.